Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another winter week from the beautiful Badger State. I'm joined by Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Yeah, I used to the cold again. I was hiking in Georgia for over the MLK Day weekend and it was high 50s, even on the mountains. <laughs> Well, it wasn't too much different here. It's been quite warm. Going to be 30s again all next week, is certainly down here in Milwaukee. So uh, climate change is uh, definitely upon us as I look outside and see my grass struggling to grow. Um, Robert, uh, it's it's. You may have you we may have been on a a short week with the holiday and hope everyone enjoyed their MLK Junior Day, but it's been an incredibly busy week already on a short week politically. Um, We are going to be joined later in the show uh, by State Senator Jeff Smith, and then also by our organizing director and also Eau Claire City Council member Kate Felton to talk about the Governor Evers budget listening session in Eau Claire last night. We'll be talking with Senator Smith about all that's going on in the state Senate, but specifically the flat tax CAFOs and a little bit around state budget. But Robert, man, the legislature got together this week here. Let's start in Wisconsin. And uh, always state a Senate. joyous event when they return. Yeah. So they got together on Tuesday. And I'd love to say that they set about busy legislating and governing, but really what was on full display was the importance of the state Supreme Court race this April and a whole lot of politicking uh, in terms of they basically moved a couple of very political referendums uh, to try and gin up turnout on the conservative side in an effort to continue to hold conservative power in the state Supreme Court, which we're talking about. But Robert, I want to give you a chance just to comment. That's, of course, my framing um, on what what the state Senate did in particular with these with these referendums um, and just what it portends, quite frankly, for, for the for this next legislature. Well, you would expect a legislature to be to do the people's business, but when you're a legislature that's guaranteed election, regardless of what the people think, then you do your own political business because you're not really democratically accountable. In other words, the gerrymandering frustrates the whole idea of the Constitution of the of Wisconsin and the country that after a legislative election, you have people who are freshly elected on issues relevant and and directly of an impact on their own constituents coming to Madison to try to work on those. And so it's about power. And of course, the state Supreme Court has been taken over. It was started as a business conspiracy, folks, National Chamber of Commerce, Wisconsin Manifestations and Commerce. And they have a court that with politicians and robes, right wing politicians that will twist the law to, to find a right wing outcome, period. And they risk losing that in this election. So they will do anything to hold on to that power, just like they'll hold on. And by the way, their control over the legislature could be at risk because the gerrymandering case would likely come back if this became a court with the majority of actual judges that actually interpret the law. And so, of course, they're going to try to uh, affect the election. And one power they have is to put things on the ballot. Now, we need to understand that one of them just an advisory referendum, though it's a sleazy one, that also <laughs> will be used against badger care expansion, and that is workfare, which we can talk about, 
work requirements to receive badger care. Uh, By the way, a other, referendum that accomplishes nothing. It's no, they're just, it's just more it's cultural. Just, it's straight up politics. Blaming of of low income folks who they've yeah. disadvantaged tremendously in this economy for being low income and not having access to affordable health care because they get paid off by the healthcare industry. It all fits together beautifully. By the uh, way, Robert, and, Robert, real quick to interrupt the cynicism of all this, that this would be oh, on yeah. the first day when, quite frankly, folks, there were no ads. There were nothing, at, nothing about this Didn't stuff. They may have been ads. pandering to their own right wing audience, but these were not on mailers. None of this shit was on the stuff you it's would do not, your first day even, in office. It's not even a legitimate, a legitimate policy referendum, let's say legalizing marijuana. People know what they're voting for. This is the poll-tested, manipulative crap that sounds good to average people, photo ID, but actually is horrendous, and it's hard to explain it. It would take a lot of money to explain it, and then it sets up what they want to do, which has got these programs. So it, it's just a usual cynicism, um, but it's not really something that people will actually be voting their real values on because they'll just say, well, well yeah, people should work if we're given, without thinking about are there jobs, are there training, do they have transportation? Is there actually a shortage of jobs for the people? Well, and, and in this environment where the Fed is jacking up interest right. rates and we're all just laying as the solution off? for all the employed people. So if the if we get inflation down, it'll be on the backs of the the, the least among us who don't have a way to get health care other than badger care. So yeah. But it, that usual right-wing cynicism, which goes way beyond before Trump and MAGA, okay, the other one is actually a constitutional amendment. And uh, actually, our guest in, later in the podcast, State Senator Jeff Smith, has a good column on that this week. Yep. You, don't, you, you don't junk up the Constitution with political issues like this, which are transient political issues based on a crime backlash they've generated for political reasons. And what it does is, in terms of actual outcome, it's just going to make sure that we increase mass incarceration, and it's going to disadvantage people um, who are more marginal, uh, would be low income, would be disproportionately black and brown, and warehouse them in jail. And so that is how that such a system would operate. It gives judges discretion. By the way, when those judges run for office, they'll be attacked if anyone they have a parole ever does anything. Like they have to have a hundred percent bad, thousand percent batting average. And so they have an incentive to just deny people a fundamental constitutional right, which is you are not supposed to be incarcerated without due process of law. There Robert. is no due process of law at this stage. It violate it would be a shock the founding, the framers of the Constitution that they claim to have so much respect for and claim to be faithfully interpreting. Robert, thank you for, for laying that out, because that's what this is. It's a complete political, cynical political move. And folks, we're going to talk about this because this is their effort to try and gin this up for the state Supreme Court race and try and make this race about issues that, quite frankly, are not really it's a small sliver of what the court does and it is very important that us as progressives that we keep our moral clarity about what is right and where justice is right and not get hyper political here because this is quote the most important supreme court race that you know that th this is a really important time this this garbage 
effort here, Robert, that you just laid out by the Senate um, is just that. And it, and it and it's degrading democracy because everybody knows it's really not the right way to go. We actually need a serious conversation about reforming our cash bail system and our you know broader system and how it impacts people who have less resources, right? I mean, it's just it's a it's an important conversation that both conservatives, Doro, and progressives have agreed on. And so this cynical political inserting itself this way and deliberately doing it in this election um, is going to be a challenging moment for us as progressives. And uh, Robert, I just, and I I, let I, it's, Duro, it's an important thing for us to talk about. I don't want to let Judge Duro, the celebrity Waukesha parade judge off the hook here. Her critique <laughs> of cash bail was she didn't have the ability to assess risk. So in other words, she's asking for the authority here that would basically incentivize prosecutors and judges to always weigh, uh, weigh you know, lean on keeping right. people incarcerated. And we know how the system works. They're going to disproportionately do that to marginalize people and black and brown people who don't have good representation, who don't know how to, you know, present a, a sympathetic face to a white judge like Judge Doro sitting there in her high her court in Waukesha County. Well, looking, folks, while this has direct implicit racial overtones, it also has, um, let's just say it like economic overtones. And if you don't think that this is also going to disproportionately impact lower income and folks in rural and small towns across the country and our, you know, and the kind of justice you get, it's just you're kidding yourselves. But, uh, Robert, we're going to continue to track and watch this. And this was just had to be talked about because this was the first day of this legislature, and this is what they chose to focus let's on. Let's not have one on abortion, by the way, with the Democrats. Yes, well, doing a, a, a public issue that was massively impacted, impactful in this election, where the law and the legislature out of step with the public. No, we don't need to ask that question. Hmm. Yeah, no, obviously that was was an important juxtaposition uh, that Governor Evers and certainly all the Democrats were behind. But uh, folks, we got to take our first break. With that, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org and all over the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are really glad and fortunate to be joined by state senator jeff smith jeff thanks for joining us i'm always glad to join you matt and uh and robert and uh, and thanks for having me well first of all um we wanted to have you because it was a hell of a first week in the uh, state senate and we talked about it in our first segment and wanted to have you on First, because of an article you wrote last week around the flat tax, which we have been talking full-throatedly uh, about for a number of months. And so appreciate you coming on, but wanted to get your thoughts on what you wrote, let our listeners what you wrote about the flat tax and why um, you're so strongly opposed to it. Well, it's standard practice of poli lazy politicians, to tell you the truth, of oversimplifying something to uh, to get people to to believe that they're really doing something for them. It sounds so easy, right? Flat tax. 
it seems like what a logical thing we should do. Well, not when actual, the actual numbers and data that you have to dig into, which is complicated, and I can understand why people can't do that on their own, but it's, it's not that easy, right? So with the, the idea behind this flat tax that the Republicans are proposing would actually, um, how, how it would 80% of the filers would not gain from this flat tax. This flat tax would be uh, a tax break for of 3.5, almost $3.6 billion to the 20% of the wealthiest um, members of our, of our society. Isn't this standard practice? I mean, we're, it's like, almost like just let's keep talking this over and over and every, everything the Republicans do is, is about favoring the wealthiest and ignoring the people who need it the most. So we're, uh, it, it's it, to me that's the simple part. The simple part is it's Republican. It's a, Repo a Republican proposal, and a Republican proposal that doesn't they don't put a lot of thought into. It's is uh, is generally not not really helping the people that need the help the most. So we're talking about um, Republican tax plan right off the bat gives over a billion dollar of tax breaks to millionaires and billionaires. What and let's let's just. So let's just go back to what we have. On, now we're looking at a $9 billion surplus in going into this, this uh, uh, budget cycle right now. Let's use that money to help people and put them in a position where it's a sustainable uh, practice of $600 million a, per year. Uh, that, that's the proposal that Governor Evers has already started with, $600 million per year for the um, people who need it the most, whether it be middle or the lower lower brackets, um, that that's who we should be focused on. And we need and and I, I, the other part of this, Matt, when it comes down to is is the idea that the Republicans work really hard to see government fail. So let's take resources away from government and and then give give back no solutions of how we're going to pay for the, the services that everyone relies on, including our law enforcement and our fire protection and our roads and the things that people expect at local at the local level. Robert. So obviously a progressive income tax goes back to the early part of the 20th century and Republicans like Theodore Roosevelt thought they had their own problem with income inequality leading, uh, coming out of the Gilded Age. It's why we call their current age of the new Gilded Age. Some people do. That you need a progressive taxation because the economy was creating huge artificial economic barriers and massive income inequality, which is incompatible with democracy. I'm citing Theodore Roosevelt here when people, some people have so much and some people have so little. And so that in Wisconsin has been great over the years. It's been chipped away at it having a good progressive income tax, far better than Illinois to the South, which is constantly struggling with revenue problems. Reason I mention Illinois is I apparently LeMay who thinks maybe that's a good fallback. Illinois has been trying to get out from under their much flatter tax forever. It's, it, it, it's harmed the state tremendously along the lines you're talking about in terms of being able to generate the revenue from the people doing best in order to actually provide good public services. Why their school system is traditionally not as well funded as ours. So that is what's happening here. 
But we know where this comes from, right? This comes from their donors, the ultra-rich folks, the corporate, you know, big corporations, WMC want this. They think they can pull it past people on this notion it's fair because it's flat. And they can go run and say it's a middle-class tax cut and blah, blah, blah. And they, they've been doing that bait and switch for a while and then doing the opposite. So what do we do? People are rapidly for tax fairness. Biden, President Biden's billionaire's tax is wildly popular, would have been good to run on, for example. And there's really good polling on that. So what do you think Democrats can do to turn this around on them? And can we message clean enough that this is a huge tax increase on everyone other than the wealthiest among us? And stop even, I don't know if we should even use the damn word flat tax, because it makes it sound like it's fair. <laughs> That's a good point, Robert. I, I For years, this is not a new thing. For years, I've heard people as even on the street tell me, hey, we should just go to a flat tax. It's similar to the let's go to term limits. It's that I, they want the most simple answer to, to all of our problems. And nothing is that simple as I keep as I keep pounding away at. I don't know the really good answer, Robert, because we tend to want to put up a big chart and throw numbers at them. And hey, you know, if you get this 3.5% across the board, just remember that a progressive tax means now you all you've done is drop the, the highest brackets down to your level. So they're not paying, but you're still paying. Um, I, I, I don't know how else to explain it to people, but it's flat or, or revisit Eisenhower. Like we like, we like to do that a lot, right? Revisit the Eisenhower Republican administration where it was up to 90% on the wealthiest um, Americans at the time. And of course it incentivized them to spread the wealth rather than pay the taxes. That's a good idea. That's yeah. progressive. Yeah. I, I think this just, we need to be very clear here. This is a massive tax cut for the wealthy. And in particular, if you look at the economists uh, um, uh, led by Dr. Rosen down here and other economists who uh, went after Tim Michaels when he first proposed this, um, it's a significant cut for the top 3% of the wealthiest and everybody else will have to pay more if they actually going to keep the same level of services that we currently have, folks. Here's the thing. This is going to be used to drive a Mack truck to have to have massive cuts to services. That's the only way the numbers that the senator originally presented were 80% don't have a tax increase. No, if that is if that's what happens, we have to cut massively, massively because the significant cuts in revenue. And we're talking cuts that are bigger than the entire UW budget, okay? So this is very simple. We could not absorb a massive tax cut for the wealthy. They did not run on that. And it is critical that Governor Evers actually have this be central, right? Because it juxtaposed what you were talking about, Senator, which is the public overwhelmingly wants resources into their public schools. They're desperately concerned in a lot of areas around the state, whether their districts are going to stay afloat or have to merge, cut massive programs. Shared revenue in municipalities is absolutely at critical stages. So the public's already there. We just um, we have to make sure we get out, I think, as Democrats and progressives with a vision around the state budget. And Governor Evers will be 
introducing his early next month, right, with a big, big ceremony. Public's with us. They are on the wrong side of these issues. We just have to lay them out very clearly. And thank you, Senator Smith, for you been on the right side of these original votes. But um, wanted to get you a chance to talk more about also, uh, you know, any further thoughts you have on 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 this uh, this tax cut for the wealthy that they're pushing. Oh, Matt, you're you're right about being on the wrong side of history in some ways, right? It's maybe we need because we need to be listening to what they're saying. Their messages, and I've heard this already in a couple of of uh, venues with Republicans right after the election. Iowa does this, and they're doing great. Illinois does this, and they're doing great. You know, and and, and they, they like to use Illinois because they said this is a bipartisan idea because Illinois is run by Democrats. Well, they're not complete, doing as great. you know, Jeff, they have a completely different tax structure down there. It's not yeah. only from that. That's but a, they don't like a discussion. I've, I've got two arms, but one, right? So yeah. and they don't explain that. That's my whole point. Bottom line is that's all they say. They they give the, the bumper sticker message. They're doing great. Don't you want to do great like them? It's like make America great again. Well, explain to me how that what great is. Let's define great. What does that mean? Tell me what is actually the the numbers there. They won't. They can't do that because they don't really know. Yep. Well, look, we got to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with Senator Smith. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back, to the Battleground Wisconsin, Robert question for the senator so just closing off our tax uh, our, our flat tax discussion um seems to me they can pass something like this if they want that the main question is will the governor veto it and i know you're in a separate co-equal branch you don't have a crystal ball necessary but you talk to the administration more than we have he's been reluctant to use his veto pen so far uh and can't argue he he won re-election, so I don't want to question it, but I don't know that he wants to run for a third term. I think that I, I would guess that's unlikely. But um uh, what do you think or and what role might the uh, Democrat caucuses play in um his decision? Well, we're all trying to read the tea leaves in some some manner. I just yesterday I did sit down with the governor one-on-one. -on -one. We had conversations, but I mostly talked about the things that I want to see in the budget. But as we, when I say reading the tea leaves, a part of it is reading Robin Voss, right? Who has sort of pretended at least that, hey, if, if that's going to be a, uh, that's not the sword I'm going to die on. He said the tax, the flat tax, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean he's not going to um, push it into the budget? I think they will. I think it's going to be in the budget. The governor, on the other hand, has said, well, there's only a couple of things that would cause me to veto the budget. And the flat tax is one of them, right? So I I I personally believe that the Republicans better not think they're gonna call his bluff on this one because if at any one time you're going to veto a full budget, it's that first session in your four-year term. That's when you know they really have to take it seriously that you know this governor really could and should veto this budget if it's if it's going the wrong direction, if it's going to destroy our public schools. If it's going to open up voucher program universally to every wealthy person in the state and cut their taxes as well with a flat tax, that's a budget that cannot pass this state and destroy this state. Yeah. And 
just following up on that, he is the only player in the state budget debate who's not arguably gerrymandered in their leadership position. He won overwhelmingly in this purple state. I would say three points is overwhelmingly, um, you know, just coming off this election. So he's the only one who has like sort of a legitimacy in the debate and he has public opinion on his side on the core issues, the tax funding for schools, shared revenue funding for municipalities, expanding access to, to Badger care, bringing in that revenue. If I were him, I'd add legalization because I think they are way wrong side. It's revenue. And I jam them on those. And those are wildly popular and they're significant drivers of revenue, as you know, and they will organize people across the state. Um, we're going to have we're going to be joined later in the show by Kate Beaton, uh, who is you know, trying to help organize and get municipalities really into the game on the state budget around shared revenue. Uh, because that's a critical issue too, and I and he's just uh, excuse me, Kate Kate Felton. I I, I forgot. Yeah. I have to remember. Kate just got married. We, we were at that mar- at wedding, Matt. Yeah. I, well, I <laughs> and I, I I was up at her at her house like three or four weekends doing doors for um for certain candidates. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, I just think the governor's in a very strong position here, and. Uh, needs to use the leverage um, and probably start sending signals to school districts like, look, I'm going to fight for you, but it means this could get messy this summer, but I am going to make sure you get the revenues you need. Leave it at that. Well, I would be curious of what everyone thinks about uh, legalization or decriminalization, because I I think you're, I think that is one we can really hit, hit them over the head. And I do believe, I do believe though, that is one, where they are seeing the light on, it seems like they are. There is the Republicans are saying, okay, they're giving up, throwing up their hands and saying, okay, this is not a, a, the battle we want to fight anymore. So maybe that's one. But I will, and I will add, um, when Robert said uh, he's been reluctant to use his veto pen, well, actually, he's of course we all know he's vetoed more bills than any governor in history. He just hasn't vetoed the budget. He can also do provisions of the budget too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So designed, he could have line itemed and it was regressive last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so four years ago, I wish he had vetoed that budget as well, the full budget. So, you know, we'll we'll see where where it goes. I think we're at a we really are at a crossroads here in politics in Wisconsin. Republicans are talking one way, but then all the all right, you the way you started this, Matt, the first week does not look good. No, it does not look good. They are going after poor people. They are um, going after democracy. That we've got their um, Bob Spindell on Elections Commission oh. has made it quite clear of their racist views and and uh, voter suppression tactics. And yet there he sits on on the board that oversees our votes, our elections. And he was a, and he was a fake elector, Jeff. Yes, and he's a fake elector. So I think there's a lot of. I think George Santos is only uh, demonstrating to us the what we all knew all along in the Republican Party, how they how they managed to get where they are. Look, Jeff, one of the other reasons I wanted to have you on is you you had the governor's back in the last budget cycle. I'll just that's how I'll phrase it. And um, 
you know, I think took a challenging vote on the last state budget. And I think the governor owes to listen to leaders like yourself who got reelected in a very tough, challenging area, um, who's got his back. And he needs to, in the state budget, have all of the communities, because Jeff, I've been out there, I have knocked the doors, I have talked to people about how worried they are about their di- their school districts and their ability to stay afloat. He's got to have their back in this budget fight, and as we'll talk more also as it relates to shared revenue. But Jeff, um, I, I really do think um, it's folks like yourself that he really does need to be listening to. Um, I hope that's true, Matt. I don't like to uh, over over uh, ex- expectations. Um, when I do that, I always uh, seem to be disappointed, but this may be the year. You're right. I, I'm hearing more and more and more uh, from people that, you, by the way, if you haven't noticed, I am the furthest North Democrat in the state of Wisconsin. Yep. And that, and I'm not even, and I don't live on the other side of Highway 29. I am on the South side of 29. So we have, uh, a lot of work to do, and uh, and and so, for instance, I'll give you another example. The environment. I, I made the miss point to the governor yesterday when we sat down and had a private conversation. PFAS is a huge issue in my district, and and actually, part of our survey questions, polling questions we had last summer during my campaign included PFAS, and it, it is overwhelmingly favored by the public to uh, to put the funding behind testing and discovering and addressing that issue. We can, as, Repul- or as Democrats, cannot be afraid of these issues, thinking that in rural Wisconsin, people don't care because they do. And they want their schools to survive. As you said, you and I have talked about this over the years, actually, when you knock on doors in small school districts, their biggest fear is losing their is losing their school district. So we as Democrats and as progressives need to keep in mind that people's lives are very much affected in rural America just as much as they are in urban America by the decisions we make for the same reasons. Absolutely. Um, Robert, I wanted to give you an opportunity for uh, last question here. Okay. Um, how, how should I understand the rural broadband issue? There's federal research uh, reports that we've spent all uh, more than enough already over the last 15 years to have universal broadband, but we keep giving it to the telecom companies who then don't have an incentive to actually give it to the hard to reach areas unless we force them, kind of like why we needed a public postal service to go to the, to give everyone flat postage. Um, and the audit uh, bureau report that I think you were one of the senators that asked for representatives which found the PSC is not holding them accountable for all this federal money that's coming in. And there was pushback from them on that. Uh, what have you been able to ascertain about how we're ta- are we taking advantage of this full opportunity with all the Biden money coming in for broadband, or are we giving it away to telecom again without making them really go to the areas that need it? That's a really, that's a, that's a good question, Robert. So, I, and I had this part of this, my conversation yesterday with governor was about this. We have to protect our uh, grant program from from losing the uh, um, vision 
that we still are, are on the message that the money goes to the places that are not covered yet, the places where we do not have fiber yet. We cannot start going down the road of, oh, let's just raise the speeds of places we already are. We're nowhere near going there yet. And, and, and I will be fighting tooth and nail as we did at the end of last session and killed a bill that charter communications and spectrum or whatever has, has was pushing to uh, to ignore that the idea of uh, the hard to reach places they want that money and they have not been accountable to to getting that money and sitting on that money and which as you know once you get that money and you have, and you submit that plan you are responsible for that territory which you promise to reach and so no one else can go in there like the co-ops, which are the, which really are the places, the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the public entities that we should rely on to reach people who don't have it. So I'm going to be continuing to fight for that. I think the answer, by the way, so I'm fine. I'm sorry to make a long answer. Oh, is good. To focus on that state program. The federal money is sort of uh, always too many layers and takes too a lot of time. We have the opportunity, especially with a $9 billion surplus, it's not even going to take, um, you know, a billion dollars of that $9 billion to finish the job here and put it into our state grant program and where we have control over it and, and move in the right direction. And I know well, Vernon County actually has it themselves, but they banned that to protect telecom. So that's something. But then I know we need to close, Jeff, but there's a huge account development issue with virtual work and its development. People would move to these beautiful rural areas if they had good broadband. They do not have to work from an office all the time. So this is denying an economic lifeline to areas in this state that are gorgeous that people would love to live in, but they need broadband to do their jobs. Absolutely, Robert. I've said it for years. Who wouldn't want to live here if they could actually access um, the, all the things they need to access? Well, Senator Smith, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. We're we're going to ask of you to come back throughout this budget cycle because for all the reasons I said, I think um, your voice is a critical rare voice now in the Democratic caucus and particularly in this budget fight. And um, we want to keep hearing your thoughts throughout the process. So we hope to have you on again very shortly. Um, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you all again. With that, folks, we got to take a quick break. Thank you, Senator Smith. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, continuing our tour of Western Wisconsin, which means we're driving maybe like, I don't know, five minutes uh, in uh, uh, rural Eau Claire into the city of Eau Claire. We are joined by Kate Felton, who is not only Citizen Action's organizing director, but we actually, I asked her to come on to talk in her role also as a city council member in Eau Claire. Kate, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Kate, I asked you to come on because last night um, you participated in Governor Evers' budget listening session. We spent a lot of time talking with the senator previously about the importance of the state budget and the governor's role. Um, wanted to have you come on and tell us how you've been trying to organize local elected officials in your area to get deeply engaged in this fight, particularly around shared revenue. Please tell our listeners more and how'd it go last night? 
Yeah, so um, wearing my city council hat, I um, have been working to really just start the conversation about uh, more state aid for uh, municipalities, for counties and school boards, um, because over many decades, the state of Wisconsin has cut shared revenue that goes to local governments um, to the point where um, local governments, you know, we've continued to do more with less and more with less and more with less to the point where, um, you know, just to use Eau Claire as an example, our state aid has gone from like 35% in 1990 to about 10% now in 2022. Um, now the state of Wisconsin doesn't allow us to raise our taxes that we were, they've imposed le levy limits. Um, and so essentially there's, um, even though our population has grown by 25%, there's no way for us to um, increase our revenue. And Kate, would you say that that is fairly typical for a lot of other communities in Wisconsin? And and a lot of people think when shared revenue, they think about Milwaukee or Madison, but like Wausau, Claire, La Crosse, you think this is pretty similar experiences? Oh, yeah. No, across the board. And, um, you know, being in elected office, I, I like to um, connect with other local officials to share ideas and, and resources. And this is something that I hear all across the board. Um, Eau Claire is actually quite fortunate because we are growing. And so our revenue does increase a little bit. Um, uh, certainly not enough to keep up with our expenses like healthcare and, um, and inflation, but, um, but for communities that are declining, um, there, there's just no, nowhere to go. Um, and we've gotten to the point, um, in our local communities where we're going to referendum, um, in the city of Eau Claire, we went to referendum in the fall, um, just to fund like critical services like ambulance and police and fire, um, uh, to make sure that, you know, when a person's house is burning down, the uh, the fire truck gets there on time, right? Um, and it really feels unfair that that we are asking our constituents to increase their taxes to to cover these really basic services when the state of Wisconsin is sitting on nine billion dollars of surplus. And so, yeah. yeah so that's that's why um, I'm really starting uh, trying to start the conversation around. Um, increased shared revenue and state aid in the state budget because um we're at a point where um where we just really there there's nothing else to do we we were just really needed at this point so kate i when you told me about this a few weeks ago that you were doing this i was like hell yeah this is so important and i hope if you belong to local government your elected official in a community please reach out to kate we need all communities on board in the state budget fight. Kate, my, my follow-up question is, Governor Evers has publicly stated that getting increases to shared revenue is a top priority for him. Um, and that's good to hear. Tell us about last night, did, how to come up. He had one of his listening sessions in Eau Claire, and you were trying to organize a number of folks to come and talk about this. How did it go? What did he have to say? Yeah. Um, so last night was incredible. There were um, a few hundred people uh, on the UW-Eau Claire campus to, awesome. um, to give their input to Governor Evers, folks talking about um, clean energy and the economy and education and healthcare. Um, I, I joined the group uh, relating to infrastructure and, um, you know, folks were talking about all sorts of different things, but really um, what, what it came down to was 
resources for our local communities to do the um, the services that impact people's lives really directly on a day to day basis. And so. We heard from the, the chief of fire um, from the city of Altoona, who were um, a, a community that neighbors Eau Claire, who was sharing some similar concerns about funding and, and their ability to um, keep staff and, and keep their wages competitive and uh, purchase um, equipment. We were hearing from all kinds of, um, of different people relating to safety and, and really, again, these basic services. So it's something, at least in my group, that came up uh, constantly. Um, and so I can tell that that folks are really thinking about it, not just local elected officials, but also our constituents who maybe aren't thinking about it in, in the terms of state aid and, and shared revenue, but they understand that their local communities are, are really um, lagging behind and need more support. Look, I think that's one of the biggest issues is like local folks don't fully understand the complex funding and how shared revenue is critical to municipalities to get back the funding that comes from their communities into, into state taxes and how this money you laid out has been cut drastically and what that means. One other thing before, Robert, I want you to have a question is we often talk about how cities are trying to implement climate action plans and trying to green their economy. When you're just trying to do basic services, I mean, I assume thinking about these things, a lot of these solutions are off the table a priori because you don't have resources. Yeah, exactly. And this has been a huge priority for me over the seven years that I've been on the city council. And we're at a point with the Eau Claire City Council where we, as a, on a values level, we really, really desperately want to be doing more to transition to clean energy, not because, not only because um, it's uh, addressing climate change and it's a smart decision, but because it's a good financial investment, um, it sets us up for um, financial success down the road, but we just can't hardly get ahead in order to um, in order to do that, how can we possibly think about, you know, purchasing solar panels when we can't even make sure that the ambulances are running, right? So that's a huge problem for, for a lot of the values that Citizen Action fights for and a lot of the, the values that our, um, our members care about. Robert? So people have been, uh, legislatures, particularly Republican legislatures, have been playing politics with shared revenue for some time. And this is something we talked about other issues in our segment where complexity operates against us. We have a unique system in Wisconsin in that in a lot of other states, local governments have a lot more control of their own revenue. In Wisconsin, they don't. But in return, we have this broad, historically progressive income tax. And it's supposed to be shared with local governments because we have a lot of them. We, have, we were founded by New Englanders. So we have more local government in most uh, most states and they've been starving it for decades and then turning around and uh saying it was because of money we now know it's not because of money because of the policies of the biden administration this surplus did not come out of thin air it's because of government policy and the success of biden's economic agenda and the money he has sent to states and local government there was a huge state surplus which shows you they just want to starve these services but they're not getting blamed for it enough. And they're, too often, it's only been Democratic cities that have spoken out, and they're able, this gerrymandered majority, just to say this is partisan. You, you deal in associations and the like, what is the chance that Republican local officials will be much clearer about this 
And they need to be willing to speak out in a way that does political damage to the local legislature, legislator, if they're just going you know, to, to, to walk the line on this. Do you think that's beginning to happen? Because it has, you know, this is starving Republican counties and cities and towns as much as it is Democratic ones like Eau Claire, Milwaukee, or Madison. Right. And that's something that I'm just, I'm still trying to figure out. Um, when you, when you add them all up, um, I would, I would bet that there are more conservative leaning local elected officials in all of our towns and counties in rural parts of Wisconsin who, who are personally leaning Republican. And, and it, I know, I know for a fact that they're feeling these budget uh, shortfalls just as much as we are. And so it, it would be um, shocking to me that they um, they wouldn't be interested in, in advocating also on the state level, which is why I've been really trying to drum up the conversation. The city of Eau Claire is very progressive um, in our government, but lots of governments very close by are, are a lot more moderate or conservative. And so what we're trying to do is um, is make sure those folks know that they have they do have an opportunity to speak up on the state level for for more state aid for their local communities, whether they personally identify as a Democrat or a Republican. Well, I actually think that's absolutely the key here, uh, that this needs to be, there, there is no bipartisanship in the legislature, but there is a bipartisan interest here among local officials. And I, I think they're they're hesitant. They're politically ambitious, perhaps. They have their own ideological creed, that they they need to represent their own areas and to call this out. They just need to be part of this. Well, Kate, look, I, I think we started the show by talking about the fact that the legislature, particularly state Senate, got off on a whack foot shows they're not interested in governing. Um, look, this is this is a call to Governor Evers. He's got a lot of power in this budget process. This is the most powerful place for the governor in the entire part of the next two years because the Republicans in the legislature need him to sign a budget. So he has got to lead the fight for these communities because of all of what you just both talked about. A lot of those, uh, you know, Republican communities are, it's just going to be a challenge. He's the only one with a statewide mandate. He's going to need to use it. And it's our job as progressives to get organized, put wind in his sails and have expectations for him and us. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and for leading in Eau Claire on uh, both at the city council, but also on how, how are we going to get engaged in the state budget? Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Again, folks, that's Kate Felton city council member last year top vote getter i'll just say that last cycle uh we really appreciate her joining us also we want to thank state senator jeff smith for joining us and i want to thank our producer brian Willard, who makes the podcast happen every week you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we'll see you next week